Hey there, welcome to Muscle for Life. I'm your host, Mike Matthews. Thank you for joining me today. And quickly, before we get into the episode, if you like what I'm doing here on the podcast, please do subscribe to it in whichever app you are using to listen to me. Because one, that'll make sure you don't miss out on new episodes. They will automatically download. Um, In some apps, you'll get a notification. And two, it'll help me because it'll help boost the rankings of the show, making it easier for other people to find my work. Okay, so I field a lot of good questions every day via social media and email. And in this episode, I will be answering a recent question that I thought you all may like to know about. And that is, what are my thoughts on companies that do DNA testing to make diet and training recommendations? So that's what this episode will be all about. And if you want to ask me questions, by the way, you can reach out to me on Instagram. Just shoot me a DM at Muscle for Life Fitness or send me an email. Email is preferred because I can get through emails faster than I can get through DMs. And you can find me at mike at muscleforlife.com. And I do keep in mind, I, I get a lot of communication every day. So you may have to wait a week or so, maybe two weeks, hopefully not longer than that for an answer, but you will hear from me. And if your question is one that many others are asking about, or one that simply strikes my fancy, I may choose to answer it here on the podcast as well. Also, if you like what I'm doing here on the podcast and elsewhere, definitely check out my VIP one-on-one coaching service because my team and I have helped people of all ages and all circumstances lose fat, build muscle, and get into the best shape of their life faster than they ever thought possible. And we can do the same for you. We make getting fitter, leaner, and stronger paint by numbers simple by carefully managing every aspect of your training and your diet for you. Basically, we take out all of the guesswork. So all you have to do is follow the plan and watch your body change day after day, week after week, and month after month. What's more, we've found that people are often missing just one or two crucial pieces of the puzzle. And I'd bet a shiny shekel it's the same with you. You're probably doing a lot of things right, but dollars to donuts, there's something you're not doing correctly or at all that's giving you the most grief. Maybe it's your calories or your macros. Maybe it's your exercise selection. Maybe it's your food choices. Maybe you're not progressively overloading your muscles or maybe it's something else. And whatever it is, here's what's important. Once you identify those one or two things you're missing, once you figure it out, that's when everything finally clicks. That's when you start making serious progress. And that's exactly what we do for our clients. To learn more, head over to www.buylegion.com. That's B-U-Y-Legion.com slash VIP and schedule your free consultation call, which by the way, is not a high pressure sales call. It's really just a discovery call where we get to know you better and see if you're a good fit for the service. And if you're not for any reason, we will be able to share resources that'll point you in the right direction. So again, if you appreciate my work and if you want to see more of it, and if you also want to finally stop spinning your wheels and make more progress in the next few months than you did in the last few years, check out my VIP coaching service at www.buylegion.com VIP. 
All right, so DNA testing for diet and training recommendations or personalization, is it worth it? Well, first, let's talk about what these services purport to offer. Obviously, DNA testing, right? So you're going to send in a saliva sample, and then they're going to analyze your DNA, and then they look for variations in different genes that are supposedly linked to certain dietary needs or linked to certain uh, sensitivities to types of food or macronutrients or types of training methodologies saying, for example, that because you have this gene, you should eat a low-carb diet or you are going to be healthier on a low-carb diet or you are going to even gain muscle faster on a low-carb diet. And the same type of recommendations are made for training as well. You uh, should be focusing on heavy weights and lower reps, or you should be focusing on lighter weights and higher reps. Now, this whole endeavor has a very scientific flavor to it, of course, which is one of the reasons why it appeals to many people. Uh, Evidence-based is a marketing macro trend that is only gaining momentum, and I don't see that changing in the foreseeable future. I think more and more consumers are going to be looking for science-based, not just sports supplements, but science-based, uh, certainly things that they put in and put on their body. But in general, if you can convince people that your product or service has scientific evidence backing it, they are going to find it more uh, interesting. They're going to be more interested in learning about it or buying it than if you were to not make that appeal. And that is not good or bad. It depends how it's used, of course. If there is good science behind a product or service, then it deserves to get extra attention. But of course, most people are not trained in the scientific method. They're not trained in analyzing scientific research. And so they ultimately are just taking the word of either the companies themselves or other organizations that vouch for the uh, scientific uh, integrity of the companies. Um, but anyway, that's a, a different tangent. Maybe, maybe a marketing podcast. Maybe that'd be a good topic for a marketing podcast. Uh, another reason why these DNA testing services have gained a fair amount of traction is, is the marketing trend of personalization. So uh, people in general are more drawn to products and services that they believe specifically meet their needs versus just generally trying to meet the needs of large populations of people. So think of multivitamins, for example. There's a trend right now to either fill out some sort of questionnaire or even do a saliva test, a DNA test to personalize your multivitamin, to have a multivitamin formulated just for you. That's the marketing of it, at least. And it sounds nice, but oftentimes it is not actually based on good evidence, not based on good research. Like the product that is formulated, quote unquote, for you is certainly no better than just a well-formulated general multivitamin. Um, but anyways, in the case of DNA testing, it's not... A complete sham. For example, if you carry the type CC of the APOC3 gene, you are probably going to be advised to follow a low-fat diet because that uh, CC variation is associated with higher levels of LDL cholesterol, the quote-unquote bad cholesterol, when you follow a high-fat diet. Now, I'm not saying that 
if you carry that CC variation, you should follow a low fat diet, but you should know that there is evidence that if you follow a high fat diet, you may have higher LDL cholesterol levels than people who uh, carry a different type of that gene. And if that were taken in the context of healthy living and blood work and your LDL levels were too high, and then you reduced your fat intake, especially if you're following, let's say, a ketogenic diet, so you're eating a lot of dietary fat and your LDL levels are quite high and you are exercising regularly, you are maintaining a healthy body composition, you are getting enough sleep, blah, blah, blah. You're doing all the most important things mostly right. And if you then knew that you had this variation of this gene and you then reduced your fat intake and saw that your LDL levels came down to a healthy level, well then, okay, you've learned something useful. And these DNA testing companies will use examples like that to sell their services. They'll say, by testing your DNA and comparing your results to their database and their research, you will be able to tailor your diet and your training and your supplementation and sometimes even other elements of your lifestyle to your body. You will be able to get more out of the time that you're putting into your fitness. You'll be able to get more out of your meal planning by not just eating uh, let's say, you know, 80% of your calories from nutritious foods or not just eating a couple of servings of fruit per day or a few servings of vegetables per day, but eating these specific foods, avoiding these specific foods, maybe even eating on a specific schedule, maybe following an intermittent fasting diet, for example. And with training, I mentioned rep ranges earlier, that can be in the results. Balancing strength training and cardio can be in the results. Uh, recovery and mobility and quote unquote functional training related advice can be in the results and so forth. Okay, that's enough preamble. Let's just get to the point. I wish I could endorse services like these. I wish there was at least one that I could endorse because if it could deliver on many of the promises that are often made, it would be pretty cool. And I'm talking bottom line results, not just learning some interesting things about your body, but learning things that are practicable, that you can do something with, that you can lose fat faster with, that you can gain muscle faster with, that you can uh, significantly improve your health with. Unfortunately, though, the state of the space right now is mostly marketing sizzle. There's very little stake there because it's just such a new line of research and science moves slowly. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work to build up enough evidence to have high levels of certainty uh, about anything. And so in the case of associations between variations of genes and specific physiological manifestations that you can then use to tailor your eating and your training, a lot of it is very speculative. It's interesting, but speculative. And of course, that's not how these DNA testing companies promote their work. They don't say, we don't really know yet if this matters, but here's some preliminary evidence that there may be a relationship here. Of course, correlation is not causation. We have not established causation yet, but there appears to be an association. We're not sure yet. So this may help you, it may not.
No, of course not. They promote a lot of the science as settled. You express this gene in this way, therefore you should do this because this study shows that. And we can say that about energy balance. We can say, all right, there's enough evidence now to support the black and white statement that if you want to lose weight, you're going to have to consistently eat fewer calories than you burn. We can say um, things about protein intake with that level of certainty, but that's only because we're talking about thousands of studies done over the course of a century. And in the case of the research looking into how different genes lead to different bodies with lower or higher risks of different types of disease and dysfunction or um, different strengths and weaknesses, physical strengths and weaknesses, psychological strengths and weaknesses, emotional and so forth. It's all very interesting, but it's also all very new. And what that means is things are going to change and they're going to change a lot over the course of the next 10, 20, and 30 plus years. And so while I do think this line of work is going to become more and more useful over time, and I do think it will be able to deliver at least on some of the promises that are being made right now, we're just not there yet. And it's gonna take years before we are. And the reason I say deliver on some of the promises is the purported benefits of following the instructions that you're given are completely overblown. For example, uh, you may be told to not just eat several servings of fruits and vegetables every day, but if you eat these specific ones and you avoid these specific ones, your body is going to get so much more out of your diet, out of your eating regimen. That is simply not true. There are no quote unquote superfoods in the way that many marketers would have you believe. There are certainly foods that are more nutritious than others. There are foods that have unique molecules that do unique things in the body. But the 80%, if we're talking about Pareto principle, right? So the 20% of eating that gives you 80% of the gain is simply getting in those few servings of fruits and vegetables every day, regardless of what they are. And yes, it is better to eat a variety, but now we're chasing that remaining 20%. And the same thing goes for training. Unless you have a lot of time on your hands, most of it should be strength training and a minority of it should be cardio. You know, I generally tell people uh, who have anywhere from, let's say, four to six hours per week to exercise, that's where most people I interact with are at, that they should put 80% of that time into the strength training and the remaining into cardio. And that approach is going to give them at least 80% of the potential benefits that exercise has to offer. Uh, the exact type of strength training doesn't matter so much unless they are trying to get as jacked as possible. But, but now again, we're chasing that final 20%. We're now saying we don't just want to be in great health and have a body that works well. We also want to have really big muscles or really strong muscles. And the same thing goes with cardio, whether it's lower intensity, moderate, higher intensity, not too important. 
when we're talking about getting to that 80% mark. Now, if we want to go further than that, and we want to use cardio to maximize our stamina, right? Our uh, endurance capabilities, or if we want to use it to maximize our body composition, maybe we are cutting and we want to get really lean or we want to stay really lean. Yes, you now can get into the weeds a little bit and make some specific choices to optimize based on your goal. But if your goal is to just look and feel good and healthy and fit, then what you do precisely with your cardio, just as with your strength training, isn't too important. So long as it follows a few basic principles that you certainly know about if you've been following me and my work for some period of time. And so I don't foresee DNA testing ever changing that. A hundred years from now, I do not foresee uh, discoveries that actually we used to think that doing a lot of strength training was good for everyone, but we've isolated these people who have these genetic variations who should do very little strength training, actually. It's just not going to happen. And so what I foresee is this line of work, this line of research is going to become useful to people who are trying to get the most out of their bodies, professional athletes, for example. And I also do think that there's going to be some utility for the rest of us around uh, disease and dysfunction risk. For example, I did DNA testing a couple of years ago, and I worked with a guy named Jay Anthony. He came on my podcast to talk about DNA testing and to talk about my results. And I did learn some interesting things. And he also, though, was uh, very straightforward about the speculative nature of a lot of these associations. He didn't want me to see my report and misinterpret the results as more significant than they are, and also to see it as something that is set in stone. That, for example, I'm looking at my report right now, I have a couple genetic variations that are associated with an increased likelihood of anxiety. He didn't want me to think that, oh, that's it, I have an anxiety disorder, or it's inevitable, I'm going to develop an anxiety disorder. He was very careful to explain the level of certainty with the results. So in some cases, there's more evidence for a relationship between a genetic variation and an increased risk of anxiety, for example. And in some cases, there's not a lot of evidence, but enough that he felt it's worth putting on the report so long as he can explain it. And then, of course, he always offered ideas of how I can counteract that. And what I took away from that experience is just that I had a pretty good sense, I guess, of my body. Uh, I'm not uh, an anxious person, but I am a higher strung person. And for example, if I don't take a little bit of time to relax at night, if I don't go to bed feeling a little bit sleepy, chances are it's going to be a bad night's sleep. I'm going to wake up several times throughout the night. And that was reflected in my DNA test. There were the genetic variations associated with an increased risk of anxiety, as well as some genetic variations associated with dysfunctional metabolism of melatonin. So you combine those things and you have a recipe for a potentially screwed up sleep. Now, aside from that, Jay said that it looked like I had quite good sleep genes. So he asked me before I even told him about the type of sleep 
troubles that I will tend to have if I have sleep troubles. And he asked me, he was like, if you don't sleep well, do you tend to wake up uh, several times at night? You don't have trouble falling asleep. You just have trouble staying asleep. And he said that the genetic variations in my body are probably contributing to that. And that's kind of interesting. Uh, Now, what to do about it? Of course, I already came up with solutions because I simply was observing that that was the problem. And then I was looking into simple solutions that have been shown to resolve that problem. And the most effective, well, I'd say two are that, that I've found, and I've tried supplements and all types of little Uh, behavior and lifestyle changes, the two most effective interventions have been taking some time at night to relax before I go to bed. Even if it's just 30 minutes, don't work straight up to going to bed. For example, Uh, don't watch stimulating movies or TV right up until the point of going to bed. Of course, uh, these are also just uh, kind of sleeping well 101 at this point but it's particularly applicable to me. And then also manage stress levels because if I have too much stress, and that doesn't just mean psychological or emotional stress, you have to also factor in physical stress, training stress. So I'm always training fairly hard in the gym. And then if you add on top of that, uh, psychological and emotional stress related to work, for example, if it gets to be too much, it doesn't bother me. It just bothers my sleep. And so I have also just had to keep a closer eye on overall stress levels. And I do like to push the envelope. I'm not looking to remain solidly in my comfort zone, so to speak. But if I push too far outside of that, I don't sleep well. And then, of course, that makes everything more difficult and less enjoyable. And so I have learned to prioritize sleeping well, even if that means working a bit less or uh, training a bit easier than I would like to, Uh, maybe doing a little bit less cardio, taking a couple of days off, for example, or deloading early. Those are a couple of easy ways to bring down physical stress from training. Well, I hope you liked this episode. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, subscribe to the show because it makes sure that you don't miss new episodes. And it also helps me because it increases the rankings of the show a little bit, which of course then makes it a little bit more easily found by other people who may like it just as much as you. And if you didn't like something about this episode or about the show in general, or if you have uh, ideas or suggestions or just feedback to share, shoot me an email, mike at muscleforlife.com, muscleforlife.com, and let me know what I could do better or just uh, what your thoughts are about maybe what you'd like to see me do in the future. I read everything myself. I'm always looking for new ideas and constructive feedback. So thanks again for listening to this episode, and I hope to hear from you soon.